couple of weeks ago, it became clear our family's Macintosh computer was reaching the end of its useful career. And I logged onto the Apple Store to see about ordering a replacement. And when I went to the Apple Store, I found myself logged into the educational part of the site, which offers discounts to students and faculty at educational institutions. Now, several years ago, when I last ordered that previous Macintosh, I was in graduate school. As I clicked through my shopping cart towards checkout, I saw that a $100 discount was being applied. And I thought, nice. And then a screen popped up that said, by continuing, you are vouching that you are a current student or faculty member in an educational institution. And I thought, <coughs> And then a little voice on my shoulder said, it's fine, Stephen. You qualified for it already, and you're in Apple's system, and it's a great discount. You still guest lecture a class or two at the seminary every year. That's kind of like being faculty. <laughs> a priest is a kind of educator anyway. <laughs> and you know, Apple is a big corporation, and they're not going to need the difference. And, it's really their fault for engineering their computers for planned obsolescence anyway. So just quick purchase. And this other voice on my other shoulder said, come on, Shaver. You have a full-time job as a parish priest, and you're married to a physician, and you have all kinds of financial privilege, and you can afford $100 do you really want to tell a lie? And I thought, <laughs> And having gotten this deep into the conversation with myself, I realized that I really had to just pay the $100. And so I exited the education shop, and I put on my big pants, and I went to the regular Apple store and paid full price. Just a little everyday moral dilemma I share with you, of a type that I imagine you probably have ones like this fairly regularly as well. And of course, I chose to share one where I ended up doing what was probably the right thing. <laughs> the other ones I don't always share with you. <laughs> but here we are, gathered in a church in the name of Jesus hearing these words from the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably his starkest and most uncompromising teaching on the kind of moral life and character that God desires for us. As followers of Jesus, we are seeking surely to be transformed in some way. And I think there is part of us that comes to these words from Jesus today and probably responds with fear. Because I don't measure up to that. And there is perhaps part of us that comes to these words and responds with curiosity about what would it be like to be transformed into the kind of human being that can live this way. But we want our faith lives surely to be connected to our moral choices. We want the kind of choices we make in the world 
and the kind of character that we are forming little by little with each of those choices to have something to do with what we do on Sundays and the scriptures that we hear and the faith that we profess. It's sometimes said that evangelical churches focus more on individual morality and more mainline or liberal churches focus more on social morality, which I think is to some extent true. If you attend an evangelical church, you are likely pretty regularly to be brought up against questions like, what is your sex life like? What is your use of substances like? How often do you pray? What are the media that you tend to look at and listen to? And what effect are they having on your spirit? And evangelical churches often ask their members these questions. Whereas if you go to an Episcopal church, it's likely that you might attend for a long time without really being asked any uncomfortable questions about these awkward topics. Although you might hear a lot about big collective issues like racism and climate change and access to affordable housing. But the reality is that we need both that God does call us to individual holiness of life. And that word holiness comes from the same root as the word wholeness. God calls us to lives that are whole, that have integrity, where each part makes sense in the light of the others. And God calls us to collective transformation and to being a part of a society that looks more like the kingdom of God. We might have a different understanding than some of our more conservative Christian siblings about what exactly living a holy life looks like. We might have different ideas about a holy sex life. It might not be so black and white as one man and one woman within marriage and so, and so on. But it's still absolutely true that sex is one of the arenas of our life that is most deeply connected to our selfhood and the depths of our humanity and that God calls us in our sexuality to be the kind of people who keep our promises and live with integrity and treat one another as fully human and priceless children of God. We might have more flexible answers than some of our siblings about what substances or what media can be appropriate and in what situations. Or what forms a healthy life of prayer can take and what that looks like to have a fully developed prayer life. But the reality is absolutely true that if our faith has no relationship with the choices that we make in these areas of sex and substances and prayer and practice, then there's a disconnect. There's something in the way that's preventing our faith practice from sinking into who we really are. Now it's also true that we can have the best individual piety in the world and still fail to be truly transformed. In last week's gospel, Jesus says, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you are still far from the kingdom of God. And the scribes and Pharisees were the people of Jesus' place and time with the best religious practice and the most conscientious faith lives. Those who made the right and respectable choices in all those departments of their lives. And so we can still fail to go deeper and be transformed. 
part of that deeper transformation is that collective dimension. The systems of sinful practice that we are embedded in that are bigger than us as just individuals. It's good that I told the truth and decided to forgo that discount. But that doesn't get me off the hook for asking the deeper questions about where my computer was made and who made it and under what conditions and with what impact on the earth or about why I have the income to buy a computer and even forego a $100 discount without having to think too hard about it. While more than half the people in this country wouldn't be able to meet an unexpected $1,000 emergency bill without going into debt. It's easy to ignore those questions and to think that being honest in a shopping cart is the full extent of our moral choices. But the fact that we as individuals may not have clear answers and can't solve these questions on our own doesn't absolve us from asking them. And from seeking together to grope our way towards more honest and more faithful choices in our place and time. In two weeks, we will enter the holy season of Lent. Lent is a time for simplicity and self-examination. It's a time to turn away from what keeps us from God's kingdom, and a time to turn towards God and towards each other. It's good that we approach this season with these words from the Sermon on the Mount ringing in our ears. Jesus is pointing us beyond individual morality. He is pointing us even beyond making what we think are the most virtuous social choices. He is pointing us to a way of life that is beyond keeping score. A way of life where it's not enough just not to kill your brother, even calling him a fool is holding you back from the kingdom. Where it's not enough just not to hit on that person. The very dehumanizing way that you are thinking about her is already holding you back from the kingdom. And when Jesus talks about God's kingdom, he's not talking just about a destination we might get to in the afterlife. A yes or no that we will achieve if we've earned enough points or avoided enough transgressions. The kingdom of heaven is something that we can start to taste and experience here and now. When we're in right relationship with God and with one another, we're already enjoying God's kingdom. And if we're not, then we're far from it. And if we're not practicing it in this life, then we won't be fit to know it or enjoy it even when it's offered to us in the next. We're not talking about getting into heaven by being good little boys and girls who turn in our homework on time and don't get our names written up on the board. We're not talking about what one wise preacher has called transactional Christianity. Earning enough points to avoid the punishment or get the reward. We are moving into a place beyond rewards and punishment. A place where we are invited to drink directly from the living well of Jesus. But it's a well that will transform us.
I invite us to a way of life that we could never have reached on our own. We're talking about being transformed into saints. And no, none of us can do it by our own hard work and merit. We do it by opening ourselves to the work of God's Spirit. We do it in community. We do it through the choices we make every day, yes. And we do it through scripture and through the sacraments and through being in community with each other. And the Spirit works on us. There's a story about two of the ancient monks, hermits in the Egyptian desert, Father Lot and Father Joseph. And Father Lot came to Father Joseph one day and said, Father, to the best of my ability, I keep my little rule of life. I keep my little fast and my prayer, my meditation and my contemplative silence. And to the best of my ability, I work to cleanse my heart of impure thoughts. What more should I do? And the elder monk rose up in reply, stretched out his hands to heaven, and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said, Why not be utterly transformed into flame? A blue, a yellow.